0: hey everyone this is todd sylvester with the todd inspires belief cast welcome to the EuroK okay mental fitness studio i would like to thank our sponsors ned siegfried luke peterson and todd bradford with siegfried and jensen mark richards with wasatch recovery colby and Mackenzie with thread wallets drew peterson with first digital greg jackson with mountain west spine and orthopedics and Travis Whitaker, the owner of Living Recovery Interventions. And also, I'd like to give a shout out to Paul Cardall. The music that you hear at the beginning and the ending of these episodes is by Paul Cardall. He's an amazing person, and he's been one of my heroes for years. So thanks to all my sponsors and Paul Cardall for believing in me. I love you guys so much. Please enjoy this next episode. Welcome back. This is Todd Sylvester with the Todd Inspires Belief Cast. Thank you for tuning in once again. As always, I love you guys and I'm so grateful that you guys are willing to listen to these episodes and share them with people. And and I know it's not because of me, it's because of these amazing guests that I have Mm -hmm. come on today. We're joined by an amazing person, Kelly Clark. Kelly, thanks for being here.
1: Thank you. Thanks, Todd. I'm so excited to be here.
0: Yeah. Kelly's got quite the story, guys. If you think you can't overcome... Your problems, Kelly is living proof that you can. Um, she is married to Weston Clark. That's right. And that's how I got to meet you is through Weston. Weston was a, a former client of mine, came through Wasatch Recovery, yes. and the guy's on fire, right? I he mean,
1: is. <laughs> he really is. Yeah. And he's
0: now married to you, yeah. which is awesome. And you both have stories of recovery, which they are do. both amazing.
1: Yeah.
0: I've had Weston on the podcast before, so I'm just really honored. That you're willing to come share That's your story great. with us. Um, I, I know your story is going to uh, save lives. I really do believe that. And I know it's a big thing to say. Yeah. But I really believe that because you have been through so much. And I think when people hear, how did she get through that? How right. How is that even possible? Right. And so just I'm just honored to have you here. And Thank so, you so much. a little background on Kelly. Um, As you well know already, she's a recovering drug addict and alcoholic who spent three decades, three decades, that's a long time, time. battling this. Uh, She's been plagued by the effects of mental illness and addiction. Um, You were also homeless, and you even got into some prostitution. And I know you're very open about that. And again, I, I can't thank you enough for being so vulnerable around that. Um, back in 2016, after finding faith in Jesus Christ and entering a 12 step recovery, her life of tragedy and despair transformed into what she's doing now of purpose and hope. And more importantly, I think seeing all the good you're doing and helping other people. I mean, that's huge, right? (laughs) Um, and you're a published author, a public speaker, a podcaster, um, you're a social media influencer, you've dedicated your life, like we said, to sharing the reality of hope with those who continue to suffer. Uh, your husband's the same way. I think that's yes. why you guys are such a good duo. He's
1: like the boy version of me. <laughs> exactly.
0: Okay. It really is true. You guys yeah. are so much alike in that way. And by the way, I'm, I'm not just saying this because, you know, I know Weston, but you two are probably two of the nicest people I've ever met. Oh,
1: yeah, Thank and it's
0: you. true, and I think people who do know you wouldn't argue. Yeah. They'd go, "Yeah, they are the nicest <laughs> people." Even when Weston came through here on day one, when he was still struggling and really in a bad place, still one of the most respectful, nicest people in that moment. Oh wow, he really was. Well, like amazing. he was never defiant or. Anything. Sure. Anyway, I just Weston, shout out to you. I love you, brother. And I'm oh, wow. grateful that we have Kelly, your beautiful wife, on today. <laughs> and uh, so, why don't we start? Um, tell us where you grew up, and maybe a little bit about your family.
1: Sure. So I am the middle of five children, and I grew up okay. all over the country. <laughs> I went really? to sixteen different schools growing up. Dang. Yes my my dad's work brought him like all over the place. So I've lived in Minnesota, Missouri, Michigan, California, and Utah. Montana, you name it, I've lived there. So we grew up really lifting up roots. But um,
0: did you like that, or was it hard, or both? I think
1: there <laughs> were parts that I I enjoyed, you know, living in small town yeah. Annandale, Minnesota, but then also moving yeah. to Yorba Linda, California, which felt like Beverly Hills to me. And right. so I liked the idea of moving around and and having these new experiences. But it was really difficult to. Um, even though I I, I had a, a personality that was one that liked to make friends, but I was a little bit shy too. So it was it would be hard sometimes, especially when I got into like junior high age. I was a little awkward. So Right. <laughs> well,
0: hard. and the reason why I asked that question, yeah. I, sometimes that can be kind of traumatic. You know, you start finding some roots at a school and fight, you know, you got your friends and all of a sudden, well, we're moving. That's right. I mean, so that's why I asked that question. I, I would imagine sometimes that was it you know, a difficult thing. It was definitely. Yeah,
1: yeah. It, for sure. I think that that impacted all of us a little bit. Yeah. Even now, um, I, I think that we feel that in our adult relationships that sometimes it's hard to connect or mm-hmm. because we're so used to, to having to let go. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Interesting. Yeah. So how were you as a uh, as a child? Were you rambunctious and, you uh-huh. know, kind of an outgoing or were you more introverted? or I
1: you know, it kind of changed, I guess. Um, when I was really young, I was, uh, I loved to go out and play with my friends. And mm-hmm. we had, you know, I specifically remember a time when we lived in Minnetonka, Minnesota. And we lived in this great neighborhood with all these kids. And I was around seven years old. And and I can just remember playing and, and being pretty, yeah, just unaware of myself in a sense. I didn't deal with anxiety yet. Um, but then it was like one day. I woke up with an anxiety disorder that was really potent, and yeah. and and we didn't talk about things like that then. So yeah. my behavior seemed um, strange to my parents because I would I was really sensitive. I started to not want to go to school. I I started to kind of have what they would consider temper tantrums, but really I was having panic attacks. But they didn't know. Yeah, and right. So here's this kid who was really well behaved and would listen and all of a sudden I was a little, um, a little bit of a nervous wreck all the time and they just didn't know what was wrong with me. So, yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. But that was tough. Maybe not feeling understood and even how to express what's going on. That was
1: the hardest part. As I look back, I was, you know, this little girl with this stuff going on in my head. It felt like I had just negative Voices in my mind all the time just telling me you're not good enough. You're unworthy You're not as good as the other kids and so that really began to wear on me. It just wore me down yeah. um, and I Felt like I was always disappointing people um, And yeah, just I felt that all the time it, it really it affected my sleep It affected I can remember having nightmares and waking up in the night Man. and just trying to get yeah. through it. Yeah, yeah. So. And how
0: old were you when you started noticing this?
1: Seven, eight.
0: So pretty young.
1: Pretty young. Yeah. Yeah. And to me, from my memory, it feels like a light switch just flipped. Like I was totally kind of, it. yeah, it just felt like it just started one day. Yeah. You're like, where is this coming from? Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> yes. And you don't really have the language yeah. to describe it to people um, or the understanding. But as I look back as an adult, I can see this was the onset of like anxiety and depression, pretty severe. Right. Yeah.
0: So as so, your parents noticed something was wrong. Yes. They just didn't know what it was. They didn't know accurate? what it was. Okay.
1: Yes. And after some self injury episodes, mm-hmm. um, you know, for someone who just sort of manifested, and they're like, I I would do things like gouge my neck, and in stressful moments and things that just seemed a little over the top for them, um, that they they were terrified. They didn't know what to do. Um, they did bring me to go see experts at times or to a therapist and, Mm -hmm. and um, other than really just saying, you know, she seems like a normal child, but you know, maybe just dealing with some relationship issues with her siblings, you know, there doesn't seem to be anything going on, but, but I, they, yeah, I don't think that they were aware enough back then. Yeah. Mm
0: -hmm. So is, was this also, did that lead up to when you know you started maybe getting involved with substance abuse yes, and things like absolutely. that?
1: Absolutely. Well, and and interestingly too, like I come from a family of food addicts. So my parents, okay, uh, my father died of heart disease at forty-seven. He had a heart attack and passed oh, really? away. Wow. And so food addiction and obesity runs in my family. And so I actually started abusing food as a drug very young until mm. I found drugs and alcohol. So I was really, my system was really primed for sort of the next substance that was going to work to get me out of my feelings. Wow. Yeah.
0: I bet that was a difficult time, obviously, losing your father yes. at such a, you know, you were young and then was he was young. 47's young. 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 I know. I'm 47 yeah. now. You're I know. 47 now, I yeah. Am. Yeah. Wow. So How did you deal with that? Or was it just more into that, maybe that addiction with food and other things. Yes. Yeah, Just...
1: So yeah, our, our family kind of went through a hard time. Um, so I was raised LDS. My, both mm-hmm. my parents were converts to the church, but, but my family left the church when I was 13 years old. Um, and my father was actually excommunicated at that point and my family stopped going to church. Okay. And so there was a big disruption sort of in our household at that point. Um, and my parents separated although they didn't get the chance to divorce because my father had a heart attack and passed away but um, Mm. it was really hard and right at that time is when I kind of figured out who the friends were that were gonna have drugs and I was really trying to act out and so I was able to finally sort of meld into a group of friends who had the access to things like drugs and alcohol and so that was all happening just sort of budding as my dad, so, you know, passed away unexpectedly. So it was sort of a domino effect of all of a sudden, our whole lives changed. Lots yeah. of family stuff going on, and then the loss of my dad um, on top of already sort of, you know, starting the drugs and alcohol. So yeah. it, was, it was a hard few years. Wow, to say the to least. Say the least. Yeah.
0: yeah, I mean, you know, call it a faith crisis. I guess that the family was going. I mean, yes. that's heavy stuff. That's like. It was. And then and, and obviously, you know, the passing of your father, you know, yeah, had to been hard. very difficult. So take it from there. You know, that led to, I mean, you obviously got involved with yeah. drugs and alcohol. Just take us through your story and, and then how yeah. it led to even prostitution and sure. things like that.
1: Yeah, so um, gosh, I, I feel like I was just kind of wired to be an addict to anything and everything. Um, I was willing as a teenager to experiment with all of it. Um, my behavior was was such too. Um, I think i I believed m- that voice in my head that told me I was unworthy, that I didn't have value. and so mm. I behaved that way and started mm-hmm. really um, promiscuous kind of behaviors off and running. Like it was very extreme and very almost found myself in, you know, abusive types of situations. and so that was really that was really difficult to have all the promiscuity happening as a teenager yeah. on top of you know, trying to f- um, figure out what drugs I wanted to use, what I would run away and spend weeks on the streets with friends I would make just living on the streets and just acting out. And I just didn't know how to live a life that I watched my sisters live. I didn't know how to just wake yeah. up and go to school and and you know join whatever and and just act go to um, uh, just any any of that stuff they made it all look so easy but for me I just felt like I was in so much inner turmoil I just had to constantly be acting out all the time Um, and so that definitely showed in all of my behavior and it was really difficult I think for my family to even know what to do um, what to do with a child that is is acting that way so I was in and out of um a couple of mental institutions um because of a couple of suicide attempts and acting out and
0: uh, self-injury
1: wow. you name yeah. it so it was really messy and I sort of got this label of unstable the drug the druggie yeah all of those things how
0: old were you when you're out kind of on the streets and
1: I was in and out on the streets all of my teenage years te- really? I would run away yep yeah, and just kind of take off and then end up back home. Um, mm-hmm. And eventually, I was, you know, it was too old. i was I got too old. Like my mom was like, i'm not I'm not able to take you back in." So and my life, um, yeah, it was hard. At seventeen years old, I got pregnant and placed a child for adoption. Mm. And then again, at nineteen, I got pregnant and placed that child for adoption. So I just began to sort of add up these scarlet letters, what felt like scarlet letters on my arm of you're, um, you're a bad mother, you're unworthy, you've already just thrown your life down the tubes. Here you are at 19, 20 years old and you've already lived enough of a life. I couldn't even relate to people my age anymore because my life had already been so extreme. Um, Yeah. So I, I, for a short period of time while I was pregnant um, and waiting to give that baby up for adoption, I lived with my sister and her husband in Provo. And they Hmm. were going to BYU. They were just newlyweds. And here Uh they were going to take in, you know, the rebellious teenager. (laughs) (laughs) And I had a couple of really powerful spiritual experiences during that time. I managed to scrape together sobriety during my pregnancies, which I'm so grateful for because both of those children were born healthy. Um, Boy, that's amazing. Yeah, it was a miracle. miracle. Really. And I, I had a couple of experiences where I was, you know, brought to church with them and and... You know, they like trying, they were trying to befriend me, all of the other girls in my age. and but they were all living this very different life. You know, I here I am, I'm in my third trimester, I'm showing up at church, and you cleaned me up and I, I blended in pretty well, except for the fact I was <laughs> pregnant and unwed. But these I wanted to be like that. I thought, well, this would be so nice if I could be in college and be yeah. planning my future, but that's not that's not who I am. I, I didn't feel like I was even in their category and didn't know how to overcome that feeling at all. It was a hardcore belief inside of me yeah. that I was damaged, used up, too broken. I, I mean, even the, our conversations, they were so sweet, but like, you know, they'd talk about how many boys they kissed. You know, I couldn't even count how many people I had slept with. And so, how do you relate to how do you yeah. find common ground? And so I had committed to, to going to church and maybe trying a different life after the baby was born. But I think the draw, that belief was so hard. Ingrained. Ingrained.
0: Well, you go back to when you were seven and eight and going through that anxiety and those panic attacks and not being able to truly express what was going on. Yeah. And having parents who no fault on them just didn't know how to deal with it. But as a kid, that's hard. Yeah you know, so here you are starting off right there. And it seems like that kind of opened up the door to all of this. It did. Does that feel like? It does yeah.
1: to me when I, if I look back now and think, where did it start? It really started with that, this belief. I mm-hmm. bought into this belief that I was somehow less than, so it was okay for me to destroy myself. That oh, was, man. yeah. Wow.
0: I want, listeners, did you hear that? Like, our beliefs dictate our behavior. Yeah. She knew she wanted to maybe go to church and be that kind of go to college and be but then that belief would kick in and go, This I don't, I this isn't me. You know, I'm broken, I'm damaged, I'm no good. I can't do that. So therefore, your behavior went back to mirroring that belief system.
1: That's right. And wow. it was almost, almost in a survival mode until this road runs out. Instinctually, I knew that there's impending doom down this road mm-hmm. if I continue to go this way. But there wasn't any other option because it was the only way I knew how to go. I didn't know how to sit in something uncomfortable and grow in that space. Oh, it makes me sad. <laughs> sorry, yeah. no, you're but really I didn't sorry. know how to sit in that space and just to grow and be uncomfortable and be okay with that.
0: What 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 hits you right there?
1: Oh, um, I want to go back to that <laughs> sad girl and tell her that you know that she was good enough, that she was good enough to be there, you know. Yeah. But um, yeah, I wish I could go back and kind of mother her and let her know that she had, you know, th- value. Wow. Yeah.
0: (laughs) I think anyone listening right now can relate with, on some level, I think a lot, I think all of us on some level buy into the belief we're not good enough. And obviously yours ran really, really deep because of the things you had gone through. And then also when you were doing these behaviors that you weren't proud of, but yet it was, it was like this vicious cycle. You're like, I know I shouldn't maybe be doing this, but I am. And that's just, I guess who I am. And.
1: Right. We're very reinforcing this idea. Yeah. Yes. Because now I had all this evidence, right? I mean, I I let men treat me this way. I Uh. let, um, you know, I've given these children up for adoption. Um, Eventually, I I got married and had um, two daughters in in my marriage, and and then ended up not being able to stay clean and sober and Mm -hmm. just starting that whole acting out cycle again. So then, not being faithful to my husband getting pregnant, placing that baby for adoption, even while I'm married. And so it just continued to to spiral as addiction does. And mental health does. Mm -hmm. So
0: uh, obviously you ended up getting a divorce. Mm -hmm. How long were you married?
1: We were married for almost 10 years. Okay, Mm -hmm.
0: 10 years, two girls. Had yes. to give one up. You gave up both or just the one? I
1: gave up a son. Uh, oh, sorry. But I kept the girls. A son. Mm-hmm. Pe- kept the yep. girls. Gotcha. So, yes. Okay. So three children. Three out of three. my five children okay. were placed for adoption at birth.
0: My goodness. Yes. Yeah. Wow. Well, and I know at the time that had to been very difficult, but I'm sure, and, and I guess I don't want to put words in your mouth. Sure. Like how do you feel about it now looking back at least, yeah. I mean, you were doing the best I think you could for them in That's those right. moments. Is that fair?
1: That's exactly fair. Yes, I do feel like I did the best that I could considering the circumstances, for sure. Yeah. Yes.
0: Wow. Um so this goes on, you get a divorce and you're still kind of you're in your addiction still. Yes. C- continue on from there and like so what what did that would, lead to?
1: Sure. Um you know, I would I would try to get some sober time. I was in and out of 12 step recovery. My first meeting I was 14 years old. So it was 1989, <sighs> if you can <know. laughs> Wow. date me. 1989, yeah. I went to a CA meeting at the request of some therapist my mother had me seeing. And, you know, I, I could go into this meeting as a 14-year-old. And they
0: were probably like, thinking, what is she doing here?
1: I know, I can remember <laughs> thinking, yeah, you know, I, I didn't want the solution. That was the problem. I wasn't ready for the solution because what I was just barely dipping my toe into was finally working for me. And so for a long time you know, I, I get into some crisis mode and find myself in 12-step recovery Yeah, just to sort of maybe, ch- sort of wanted recovery, but I didn't want it enough. I didn't want it enough yet, Yeah, right? So I fair. did that for a very yeah. long time. And during those times, I could kind of scrape together a few months of sobriety. My mental health really spiraled. I struggled with um, self-injury, you know, to the point where I was, you know, hospitalized for the cutting. I have, yes, you can see on my arms, yeah, wow. you know, the deep cutting that went on for years. And
0: why does someone cut?
1: Um, I can say why I cut. I was usually triggered by feelings of abandonment. If okay. I thought I was being rejected or abandoned, then I it was overwhelming to my system.
0: Yeah, and and for those who don't understand this, um, it's the emotional pain is so painful. That cutting is almost a relief right. from that emotional pain. Is that accurate?
1: Yes, yeah, and it was—it was almost like a compulsion to do something be- with the pain that was in me. It was like I have to do something, and and for some reason, even as a child, this idea of being so un—like not okay—being in your own skin—I I almost f- felt this visceral urge to peel myself out of my own skin. That is how my, I know it sounds really intense, wow. doesn't it? that's but intense. But that was, yeah, because it was too much. It wow. overrode my system.
0: So that kept going and yeah. you went in and out of the hospital or the ER? And
1: my, so much of that, even in my adult life. Um, and it just became a pattern of being put in you know, into some hold somewhere and them trying to diagnose me with something and Mm -hmm. then putting me on new meds and the meds never seemed to work. It didn't ever really seem to be a chemical imbalance and so it was really frustrating, I think, for everyone who were, we were all wanting some sort of, you know, pill that was going to make it Yeah, like here's what's going to fix everything. Yeah. Yeah, and nothing ever seemed to, so.
0: Yeah. Did, I mean... And I think I know the answer to this, but I'm going to ask it anyways. Did you have times where you wanted to end your life?
1: Yes. Just being so tired of it. I can't
0: imagine, yeah, it's going through that. Being
1: attacked by your brain all the time is what it felt like. And you want to be, like, I wanted to be a good mom. I wanted to be a good wife more than anything. I was willing to kill myself for my children, yet I couldn't put a life together for them that um, resembled anything um, that they should have. And yeah. so I, I, didn't know how to, how to, yeah, how to do that, how to reconcile why that was happening.
0: So this goes on for three decades.
1: Yes, it does.
0: Homeless, you know, giving up your body, cutting your body. I mean, thanks for being vulnerable to yeah, sharing sure. this. I mean, this is heavy stuff. Yeah. What changed? And talk about that. Like, yeah. wh- what, where, where did things finally start to go? Wow, I think things they, are going to go in a better direction they, for me.
1: You know, for me, it had to get worse before I was ready for that. Um, when I was 38 years old, living in in Utah here with my daughters, <clears throat> still had custody of them. They were 13 and 15, and I added, I found heroin and added heroin to my meth and oh, alcohol problem. Wow. And within two months, I lost literally everything. I lost custody of my daughters and walked away from my home, packed a bag and literally just went onto the streets of Salt Lake City. Once my girls were gone, I had no reason to fight. Like there was like, it was so, Tragic in me, and I didn't mm-hmm. know how to fight. So it was like I just totally gave myself into that, and so I was on—I say on the streets, but I was living out of the hotels in Salt Lake, yeah. um, and and working, you know, putting up an ad and working, Work working the that streets. way, working yeah. the streets that way, that's putting yourself
0: right. out there that way, and yes. giving yourself up. And, and that's pretty common here in Salt Lake. That's is. what happens, right? Yes, yeah. yes. I did not. I think have people have don't know idea. that, right? They don't. Yeah. Uh,
1: I was surprised. My gosh, um, it's surprising to me this is even coming to mind, but I'm going to say it. I was so shocked and surprised at the market, <laughs> at the market that was out there for this. Even, you know, I, I was yeah. so surprised. I had no idea that I would receive the kind of response. I mean, there, there's enough work out there for people to take appointments literally around the clock hour after hour after hour there's a huge huge demand for that here and um and i imagine everywhere and so Uh, that was really really traumatizing for me even to think oh my gosh there are so many people out there participating in this and and they just look like everybody else but yeah yeah and you just it's crazy
0: something that just came to my mind i hope it's okay if i share this You know, one of the definitions of depression that and I think this describes depression better than anything in my opinion, is pretending to be someone I'm not. Mm-hmm. And here I'm I'm visualizing, you know, you and a bunch of other women are working the streets. Yes. You said there's this market twenty four seven coming to pick you up yes. and, and you know and, and do that. And on both sides, you guys and the and the market. Yes everyone is pretending to be someone they're not i know that's not you kelly yeah right ultimately to your core i know that's not know. you and i and those people going to seek it same thing i would say the same thing to them is is that it just i don't know i just had that visual like everyone's pretending yes to be someone we're not you mentioned when you went to that when you when your family member took you to church and you're like well i i, I want to be a part of this but then you're like but this is not who i am right See, you're, you've you been pretending to be someone you're not through that addiction for
1: decades. Oh my gosh, yeah. That is so true. I don't know, it just, that just that popped is in really my head. That is really mind I've never thought of it like that before. Because yeah.
0: that's not you. You weren't right. born to prostitute. No. You weren't born to be homeless. You weren't born to do drugs. No. You weren't born to to gouge your neck, you know, and try to rip your skin <laughs> off, right? right? Yeah. And And again not to minimize the pain you were going through cuz you didn't know how to handle it as a kid. Yeah. But boy, I see this time and time again, people sitting right where you're sitting, they're just they're struggling. But when I see what they're doing, I'm like you're pretending to be someone you're not. Yeah, that's right. Wow.
1: Yeah, with no no idea how to do anything about it. And and it got to the point where, you know, you you start to stack up some traumatic events. Yeah. Some really traumatic and hey. and um then you know and i i was i was a totally emaciated covered in sores and getting the boils from shooting up you know you've yeah. probably seen some of that oh, yeah. stuff and just <clears throat> dying you know really dying and just a ghost of who i was just but still that person inside of me is like crying and wanting to be home i just want to mm. be back to my children to my home to my house to my, my family gosh. and of course they're so devastated you know and they they're so angry and devastated and so there's no communication there so you you get very disconnected and i ended up feeling just like a cockroach living in this darkened you know motel room and the only people i see are people who are not good intentioned people and so you go through that enough and you deal with enough of the dealers and the gang stuff and all that that goes on out there and it just wears you down till you're exhausted and um I ended up uh, having a really traumatic experience. Um, One of my dealers thought that I had set him up to be robbed. I had nothing to do with it, but he thought that. Mm. And so he had me, um, by his suppliers, held against my will for like 13 hours. And they fully believed I had done this. And I had no idea why I was there. I had no idea what was going on. And so I had a hand around my neck. I had... um, you know all kinds of stuff go on and at the end they they literally like finally when i was even allowed to speak it finally dawned on them that i did not i wasn't a part of this and so they voted in front of me whether or not they were going to kill me because now they knew what are they going to do let me go so they had to make that choice and they voted in front of me and it was one vote one one vote that saved my life that that night by one person voting yeah
0: like this is stuff you'd see in a movie. I know,
1: I know, I know. But you know what? You know what? It happens a lot out there.
0: Yeah, you know I mean. I'm sure it does.
1: Things like this happen but, all the time. Yeah. But
0: to hear, I mean, I'm sitting here, I know, and I look at you, and I'm like, I can't even imagine that was you.
1: I almost can't even imagine. I'm right. It was me. <laughs> oh, I look back and I cannot believe that was like a day in the life because yeah. things are so different. But because of that, I left the state. Gosh. I left the state. I, I, after I was let go, I was so traumatized. And I, I yeah. just could not continue to give these men my money after everything that had happened. Um, and so I went ahead and, and left the state. I was able to get off the heroin, but I stayed on the meth and the alcohol and um, found myself again in, in a really bad, and I won't go into all this, but I found sure. myself in in a um, even a, some worse situations. But. I had started to have some interesting spiritual experiences. Meth is the weirdest thing. I swear there's a part of it that opens the brain for very dark spiritual experiences, but also it opens the brain for a possibility of other experiences. Yeah. I, I don't know how it all works, but right. I do know. I've heard that before from yes. other people who have gone okay. through that, yeah. So, so The darkness common. was so obvious to me that, that there were spiritual forces going on around me. And so I had to sort of open my mind to that idea mm-hmm. that, okay, mm-hmm. there's darkness here that's going on. Um, but then also um, through that, I, I was beginning to have experiences with the light as well of, well, wait a minute, if this is happening, then maybe, maybe there is good spiritual stuff possible at the same time. And when I started to sort of allow that idea to come into my mind that maybe there's spiritual forces at work, then it gave me enough faith to begin to try praying again, and and I began to pray in some of the worst situations that um, that only God understands the the kind of stuff you know only God gets it. Yeah. And but in that space that was so hard and so scary, I literally this God that I was so afraid of and so angry at became my best friend, and. It almost didn't even matter anymore what happened to me. I really resolved myself to whatever happens, if I'm able to get out of this situation, great. And if I'm not, just know like my heart belongs to God. And I knew that and I started to really behave that way. Even with people who were very uh, cruel to me, I began to just show love because I had control over what I could do. I had control over my, how I treated people. And um, that really makes you a target (laughs) in that world. But I just couldn't, I didn't want to be swallowed up by the darkness anymore. And um, as I began to pray for the the willingness to be willing, that's where I had to start. Hmm. I don't know how to be willing. I needed the willingness to be willing. And I said, you, okay, God, like we're in this together. You do what you have to do to make me willing and I'll live through it but I don't know how to create those circumstances. Like I am too far in the drugs. I am too far in this situation. I don't know how to get out of it. I have no idea how to even begin, but I want the willingness. So oh. do it, do it, do it. And I gave him, and I meant it. And, man, he listens to prayers. <laughs> because well,
0: And, by um, the way, reminding, you're doing this in the midst of your addiction. Yes. You're right in the thick of it. That's right. In and it's
1: hell. B- it is literally. It's like the. It is hell. Because the people I'm around are so dark and so evil. But also those Doors, those spiritual doors have opened up. So there's a lot of spiritual attack going on at the very same time. So you're getting it from everywhere. <laughs> yeah. You're getting it from everywhere.
0: It's almost like, uh, you know, God's trying to send this wake-up call to you. Yeah. In the midst of your darkness. Like, yes. hey, there, here's an exit. Yep. C- come this way if you can. Yes. Please. But here's the exit. I here's don't... a little bit of light that I'm going to show you. Right? Yes.
1: And I was finally desperate enough. I was finally desperate enough to like... <laughs> where I wouldn't even give the whole higher power idea a chance, ever, because I thought, well, that's stupid. I thought, this is dumb. I heard people talk about it in a 12-step, you know, like, mm-hmm. you gotta find a higher power and believe that your higher power is gonna yeah, help yeah. you. And I'm like, what, that's like asking like the Easter Bunny. <laughs> is the Easter Bunny supposed to help me? Like, I have real world problems <laughs> right. here, people. Yeah. Like, you know Yeah, you know I mean? what we're no, talking about here? That's right, Come on. okay, I'll call Santa Claus, because <laughs> Santa Claus will show up and help me. And that's what it felt like, I was yeah. almost offended by people suggesting that because i'm like you clearly don't understand what the kind of problems that i have right but truthfully when it came down to it you know when i was desperate enough and thank god he helped me get to a place where i was desperate enough to be humbled enough to truly ask for that help and and it started happening it started changing um so many series of miracles and I, I see that with people who are first getting clean and sober yeah. when they're first opening mm-hmm. up and even trying yeah. the higher power thing for the first yeah. time it's like they will get a series of these tender mercies and miracles just sort of go very conspicuously yeah have you noticed that oh yeah yeah yeah
0: yeah so so it was more like these slow moments slow spiritual moments if you will is that correct yeah and did what what was the final, I guess, maybe catalyst that's moved you from the addiction world to all the good you're doing now? I mean, what a contrast in your life! Are you yes. kidding me?
1: Yes, it it's has been mind just blowing. Literally, one one day at a time, mm-hmm. doing, um, trusting. I mean, for me, for me, it was when I started exercising faith in Jesus Christ. That that is the that was the moment things began to change for me. Was that
0: the moment that you just mentioned, though, when you were, you you said a prayer and you started feeling something different? You yes. had a spiritual? Yeah. Is that is that the beginning of what you just said there? It was the beginning. Okay. Yes.
1: Yes. Yeah. I, I was in, but I got down on my knees and had the most humble prayer I've ever had. It felt like something shifted. I got up from my knees that prayer and something shifted and it was that same day i was able to finally get away from the people i could not get away from Mm -hmm. that same day i prayed that prayer and there were a series of miracles that happened in order to get me out of that space so i could be safe and then move me somewhere else so i could have new experiences and amazing experiences and so you know it just started with the one but it domino affected from there just domino affected. And crazy. so,
0: yeah, it's kind of like uh, it was light was building on more light, yes. and then a little more light, and then a little more light. Is that fair? Yes. And All I right grad,
1: but I grabbed onto the whole concept of my higher power, like like a freaking spider monkey. Like I was like, <laughs> this God thing is gonna work. Like I was in. Like I was not tentative about it. And and that was the first time in my life I was like, this is gonna this is gonna have to work because I knew I was out of time. I was out of time. I was, yeah. it was, it was going to be too late and I'm so grateful as I know there's so many people who accidentally overdose or don't get that opportunity. And I'm so grateful for the opportunity to get to a rock bottom that didn't take me to the other side. Wow. I'm so grateful to have that here.
0: Yeah. You're yeah. a walking miracle. Seriously. Oh. I mean, truly. And, and you're right. It's unfortunate. Some people, I mean, think about it. Some people use one time they overdose and die. Yes. Some people use for three decades. Right, and they don't overdose and die. Like, it's hard to reconcile It is that. hard to reconcile. But yet, but you're here, though. Yeah. And what I love now is all the good you're doing. Thank
1: you. So let's talk about that sure. for a minute. Sure, yeah. You, you know, yeah. so you had
0: this amazing experience. You've turned your life over to God. Yes. You, you know, you hold on like, you, <laughs> like, like a, a spider, spider monkey. monkey. <laughs> you're holding on for dear life. <laughs> That's right. I love that. Um, <laughs> so why don't you tell our listeners, like, you know, once you really started turning your life around, why do you have this desire to help so many people? Like what, where did, what's that coming from?
1: It comes from being so chronically hopeless for so long, feeling like I, I wasn't worth anything and that there was no hope for me to all of a sudden having a hope that is so bright, like an understanding I was seeing everything wrong. I thought I was right, I thought I was right, I thought I was seeing things correctly, I was seeing things incorrectly and I had this perception shift and understood there really is a loving higher power out there for each of us who loves us and who will go to any lengths to help us and uh, we have such value and when that happened for me, when I began to see that for me, I just was like, it's like you can't help but turn around and think, oh my gosh, there is an entire Mm -hmm. world of people who don't understand this and I want to tell them. I want them to know like there is hope, there is hope, there is hope. And I believe that even for those who lose their lives to this disease that there still is hope. That there is still growth and hope and all of that recovery happening on the other side. But how do you have an amazing, how do you be rescued like I I was rescued um, and not tell everybody? You know, I... (laughs) I want to tell everybody. <laughs> that's it, why we're here. That's why today. we're here. That's right. No,
0: and I'm glad you're telling us. Yeah, thank yeah. you. <laughs> I really am. Wow. I try not to cry here. <laughs> um man, you're amazing. Um
1: can I tell you my Please. favorite? I yeah. have a, sorry. I have no, this, don't be sorry. I have this thought. Um, and I share this sometimes when I share my story. Please and do. I'll try to like sum it up. But, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, it's my favorite New Testament story. And we don't hear this one a lot, but yeah. it's, it's the story of the man of gathering. And, um, it's, this is the day uh, on the Sea of Galilee. It's right after the storm comes and, and the Lord calms the storm and everyone says, what manner of man is this? Well, yeah. that same day they land in the land of Gadarene and Jesus and his disciples walk up to um, the tombs where this man of the tombs is. And this man is described as being uh, without a dwelling, <clears throat> filled with devils, cutting himself with stones, crying from the tombs and from the mountains day and night and they try to bind him his family and friends you know Mm -hmm. they try to bind him and they can't keep him bound and he breaks free and he just here's this poor man who is literally in spiritual physical mental agony and jesus comes to him and heals him immediately casts the devils out of him and here he is standing clothed and made whole and he he then follows Jesus and his disciples back to the boat and he says, I wanna come with you basically. I wanna abode with you or abide with you. I wanna yeah. tarry with you. Yeah, right. <laughs> and Jesus says, No, you're you're not gonna do that. You're you're actually gonna go back and you're gonna tell everyone what great compassion I had on you. And you're gonna tell everyone what I've done for you. And what I love I love so many things about this story. Yeah, right. <laughs> but what I really love about it is that He was healed and and Jesus didn't say, now I want you to go, go grab your friends, tell them quietly, move to another town and then nobody will ever have to know your past. And then nobody will. And then you can then you can live without the shame. Mm -hmm. Right. No, his his instruction was to go and tell everybody. And that's that's how I feel. It's like I don't have the shame attached to the past anymore you know, I, I, that has been lifted because of my relationship with, with my higher power with God. And so I don't have to be burdened down by that anymore. And now the past gets to be used as a tool for other people. Wow. And I, and I love that. And I, I love doing I it. It's where why my you, joy comes in life. Yeah. Sorry. I, yeah.
0: I know why you love the story. Yeah. Cause that was, that guy was you. It was me. That's you. It was me. I mean, all the way back to when you were grabbing your neck and just trying to... When
1: I read that story and I said he cuts himself with stones, I I was like, I know know why. I'm sure other people are like, why would someone do that? I'm like, I know why. The second
0: you started sharing, I'm like, I know why she loves it. (laughs) Yeah. Wow, that's powerful. Yeah. Dang, thanks for sharing that. That just made my day. (laughs) Holy cow. (laughs) Folks, are you soaking this in? (laughs) This is amazing. Guys, ah. You know whether you believe in God or if you're struggling with a higher power, right. call it a higher power, whatever you want. But I do believe there's a higher power out there that loves you, that cares about you, even in your deepest, darkest moments. I mean, Kelly's a perfect example of that. I mean, she was quote unquote, doing things that wouldn't make her worthy, supposedly. but no, right. it's not about being worthy. Mm-hmm. It's about being willing. Yeah, right. and I love what you said. I prayed for the willingness to have the will. <laughs> That's right. The willingness for the willingness. That's yeah, what I had to Yeah, willingness start. for the willingness. Anyway, you said it much better than I did. Yeah. But uh, wow. Thank you. Holy cow. Um, if there's someone listening to your voice right now who is in a deep, dark place and they feel like they're broken, damaged, and they're no good, kind of like you felt, what would you tell them right now? You've already shared some amazing things, but... Yeah. What would you tell that person? Well,
1: I would tell them from someone who knows who's been there that there is absolutely 100% hope even though it doesn't feel like it or seem like it. It doesn't matter how many times you've tried before and failed. It doesn't matter how many people in your life are angry or mad at you. It doesn't matter what circumstances that you're in right now. There is absolutely hope. I don't care if you are 90 I don't care if you're 21, it doesn't matter how old you are, like there is hope. And where it started for me is by turning to my higher power. And it doesn't, It does. whatever your higher power is to you, mm-hmm. if you can turn and ask that higher power for help, I found that that's where my strength comes from.
0: Well, you even said it. You didn't even believe in a higher power. You thought it was like make believe, yes. but yet you tried it anyway. That's right. So that's kind of what you're saying, right?
1: Yes, exactly. Yeah. It doesn't matter how silly it seems. In fact, to me, it did seem silly. It, t- it seemed so silly. And I had to be that desperate to try <laughs> it. And how astounded. Uh, yeah. I was astounded. And I think anyone who actually will try it and, and really give it some effort will be astounded to find out that we really do have a loving creator who yeah. is there in wow. every moment, who is wow. truly in the details of the details of the details of our lives.
0: Um, beautifully said. Oh. Dang.
1: That's not my quote. That
0: was a mic <laughs> mic drop. <laughs> Just drop the mic, let's move on. <laughs> um if someone wanted to reach out to you, Kelly, yeah. If they want to know next time you're speaking or if they want to get a copy of your book or the things you've, you've published, or if they just have a question for you, what would be the best way for them to do that?
1: Um, the best way would probably be to reach out to me on Instagram. My okay. My Instagram uh, name is The Faith Seed. So The Faith Seed. Um, and if you DM me there, uh, okay. I get to those. Um, and then the name of my book is Between Monsters and Mercy. Mm. And um, that was published by Cedar Fort Publishing, but you can find it on Amazon. And there's also an audible version.
0: Love it. And I'll put the links in the show notes so everyone can just get right to it from there. But I do challenge everyone to reach out to you. I challenge everyone to listen to what you do with your podcast, read your book, ask you a question, anything. And like I said at the very beginning, if you think you can't get through hard times, you are proof that you can. Yes. Yes, sometimes we need... If not all the time, we need that help from our higher power. But at the same time, you can do it. That's right. If you're listening to this right now, please know that.
1: Yes. Yes. Man, I'm blown away. Sometimes the voice in your head is a liar, so. (laughs) Yeah, it is. Yeah.
0: You know, and it's funny. I knew a portion of your story. I didn't know all of this. And I'm just, I'm blown away right now. I don't even know what to say. Mm. I'm just, I'm just grateful that you are alive and that you're now in a position to help other people with your story. And like I said at the beginning, too, Weston and Kelly are the two of the nicest people you'll ever meet. You would never guess meeting you two that you two (laughs) had the lives that you had. You would think, oh, these guys have been, you know, church-going people their whole lives. They're just, they don't know anything. Man, do they know Weston and Kelly. Freaking (laughs) A. Thanks. Um. Thanks for being on the show. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. It's been
1: such such an honor. It's been a
0: while. We've been trying to do this for a while now, but here we are. But I'm glad it happened when it did. I think it was perfect timing. I do too. And uh, thanks so much. I'm just so thankful. I will challenge our listeners. Please share this with everyone you know, (laughs) especially those who are struggling. I know you have a family member right now who is lost. Share this episode with them. Send them the link text it to him it's real simple yes. tell them to listen to it follow back up with them let let kelly's story be the catalyst to open up their hearts because it will thank you. you can't <laughs> how could it not right yeah so thanks, thanks kelly thank you so much you're God. awesome you're awesome too <laughs> thank you <laughs> okay guys you guys have a wonderful day please keep tuning in thanks for sharing um all these episodes it truly is a uh, next time everybody